0: Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership, or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash leadership.
1: Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence.
0: Hey there, and welcome to episode 223 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Turmoil in the Workforce, another Q&A with M. There's a lot going on in the world of work right now. The COVID pandemic was clearly a catalyst for a major shift in how people all over the world view their careers and, more importantly, their lives. We've come through the great resignation, moved on to quiet quitting, and now we're seeing mass layoffs. And the net result of all of this? Well, the latest figures in the US show a steep decline in productivity. And then there's Elon Musk, always unpredictable, eccentric and entertaining but I don't think he's ever been accused of being a leadership role model. As you might imagine, we get an endless barrage of questions from our listeners on these issues. So to help me answer a few of them today, welcome back to the microphone, CEO of Your CEO Mentor, producer of the No Bullshit Leadership podcast, and coincidentally, my daughter, Em, how are you?
1: <laughs> Hi, gosh, what, a, what an introduction there, Marty. Thank Best you. Best I could do. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: Em, some complex issues to talk through today.
1: Yeah, things have been moving pretty quickly, haven't they? I remember you mentioning the productivity decline when the figures were first released a few months ago. I'm keen to hear more about it, though. What have you done in terms of research since then?
0: Well, it's good to have some hard numbers out, right? Uh, I think we're starting to see the scoreboard for many of these work disruptions. Mm. Productivity is a measure of the hourly output per worker across the whole economy. So in the second quarter of 2022, productivity in the US plunged. It was the largest year-on-year decline since they started keeping records, Uh, and this is on the back of a sharp decline in Q1 as well. Now, hours worked increased slightly, so people aren't working any less hours. The unit cost of labour continues to increase even more rapidly, though, by over 10% last quarter. Mm. So wages are going up, people are producing less, and they seem to be working harder. Now, these numbers are problematic, and the trend seems set to remain for, I reckon, quite a while.
1: Mm, and it's probably not a huge surprise with all the disruption that's been going on. Do you have a theory on why we're seeing such a steep decline in productivity?
0: Oh, you know me, Emma. I always have a theory. <laughs> Look, I think the causes and effects can be pretty complex here, but we're now seeing the scoreboard on the remote working issue for a start. There's still fierce debate on whether productivity has increased or declined. Now, people who prefer to work from home swear that they're much more productive now. And if that is the case, then that productivity isn't being captured. Perhaps the, um, I don't know, proliferation of extra Zoom meetings that leaders hold to try and keep tabs on everything, well, they're sucking up any actual productivity gains that may have been realised. But look, as much as we debate the root cause, the outcomes are entirely predictable. Long-term productivity declines result in a shrinking economy, quality of life goes down, opportunities dry up, and innovation flees offshore to other economies. And when that happens, everyone just blames the government. (laughs) Look, if it wasn't so serious, it'd be fairly comical, right?
1: Well, it is a little bleak, or at least it sounds a little bit bleak, but I think it's really good framing for the first question. So let's get into this one. Uh, The first question that we're going to cover today is from uh, Caroline, one of our Leadership Beyond the Theory alumni. Uh, Caroline's question is, quiet quitting is a tricky one. I read an article recently that suggested there's a lot of variance in the definition. Is it using up all your sick leave or just not doing any extra for no recognition? I wonder if it's a sign of the times and when it becomes more of an employer's market, it'll be less of an issue because those wanting to quietly quit by the extreme definition will actually lose their job. And also, when post-COVID fatigue wears off, maybe it'll die down. Great question, Caroline.
0: It is. Hey, Caroline, how are you? Um, Look, quiet quitting is, uh, I think, a fairly unfortunate phrase But it does show how quickly these things can take root in the media. There's there's been a bunch of variations on this theme, but I think people have been emboldened by the fact that they've been working from home and they realise that they now have a huge amount of latitude in terms of how much effort they put in and what results they achieve. It's not necessarily their fault either, I guess. I mean, leaders who can't lead for results, but only by looking at the activity, so for example, the time someone spends at their desk, they may not have been able to set appropriate targets or standards for their people and everything defaults to the lowest common denominator. Mm. So you end up relying on the choice of the individual as to how much effort and commitment they put in. And the way many companies have treated their people during this time, it's no wonder that a huge chunk of the workforce is pretty weird and pissed off about how they've been <laughs> treated since the pandemic hit. M, I I reckon this isn't a new phenomenon. Yeah. Since the Industrial Revolution, workers have exercised their power the only way they could, by punishing an employer who treats them poorly with a lack of effort. They withhold their commitment, their productivity, and their discretionary effort, only doing the bare minimum. Now, in the most obvious sense, this manifests as strike action. Um, But the more passive-aggressive version of this is to just do as little as you can get away with to try to achieve that sense of balancing the scales. And if leaders can't see this and deal with it, well, (laughs) whose fault is that, right?
1: Yeah. So quiet quitting is just really a modern take on uh, what's been going on for a really long time. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Since the dawn of time.
1: So I guess this is just a passing phase then. Will this disappear once the employment market cools and jobs are harder to find? What do you reckon?
0: Well, I don't know. It's a really good question. I, I think it's most likely that things will go back to relative normality. And by this, I mean that employees are going to revert to using less obvious methods to express their displeasure. So to Caroline's point, people will need to be careful how they play that game. But I don't know that it's going to change a lot about productivity, employment, or people's lack of satisfaction with the current state of their careers. Mm. Um, Now, I'm sure I've spoken before on this podcast about the psychological contract. Uh, And this concept was first developed about 60 years ago by Chris Argyris, who was an HBS professor. The psychological contract is the unwritten understanding between an employer and an employee. And I think this has changed a huge amount over the last decade or so in particular. Yeah. So if you think back to the 1960s when Chris Argyris formulated it, the psychological contract would have been a very, very different understanding. The employee's thoughts may well have been, I'll come to work for you every day. I'll give you a fair day's work for a fair day's pay. If I'm loyal to the organization, the organization will be loyal to me in return. I'll do what I'm told and I'll give my best efforts, and in return, I expect to be treated with a level of dignity and respect. So it seems to say there was a sort of mutual understanding that employers and employees would look after each other's interests.
1: bit different now, Marty. <laughs>
0: well, I think it's very different now, yeah. If, if we think about what might sit on the employee's side of the psychological contract today, uh, it would probably include things like schedule flexibility, meaning and balance, Um, Much higher expectations around pay, of course. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I I think they must be thinking, well, I don't expect unwavering loyalty from my employer. It's obvious those days are gone. But instead, I expect that my employer is going to provide a place where I can earn a good living while having plenty of room for the other things in my life. I want balance. Uh, I probably want my boss to be sensitive to my situation and to cater to my preferences. So, for example, the whole working from home thing, working from where I choose in the way I want to. And I expect a level playing field and that I won't be penalised in my career because of the personal choices I make in the other areas of my life. Uh, And if I don't feel as though the balance is right, hey, quite quitting. (laughs) If my employer doesn't get my expectations and doesn't satisfy them, I've got many ways of exercising my own dissatisfaction. So I guess the balance of this modern psychological contract will no doubt shift slightly as the job market softens.
1: Yeah, that's pretty interesting to think about how it's changed so much, but you're probably right. Surely not everyone thinks like that, though.
0: Oh, God, no. No, for sure. Like, there's people in the workforce, of course, still, who are ambitious and career-oriented, who are going to continue to seek a high level of success and reward, and they will have a completely different psychological contract. Um, They'll be the ones who receive the opportunities that open up, uh, and they open it up themselves through their hard work, their risk-taking, their dedication. And look i I'm probably not in the mainstream with this. I think that's entirely appropriate. Uh, the goal should be to create equality of opportunity, not equality of outcomes. And if someone chooses to put more effort in, uh, more energy, more commitment, into anything they do really, they'll earn the success that comes from that effort. So if someone makes a choice to do less and focus on other areas of their life, well, that's fine. Uh, and in many ways, it's probably more sensible but they can't expect the same career outcomes. Yeah. And, and, you know, as leaders, we sometimes forget that. It's not our job to provide the environment for everyone to live out their best lives. We've got a job to do in delivering value for our organisation, and that's why we get paid. So we can't get too carried away with pandering to the demands of our people. It's not good for the team, and ultimately, it's not even good for the individual.
1: Yeah, and Take a Trip Down Memory Lane, Episode 8, A Happy Worker's Productive Workers. That's a really good one.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So we've spoken a bit about dissatisfaction. What's at the core of this? Did COVID change things that much or was this kind of already happening and the pandemic just accelerated it?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Well, another great question. Look, I sort of get the impression that our evolution of thinking on what our lives and work should be has evolved over time. And I mentioned that radical shift in the psychological contract. Well, it now seems to be almost a cliche that people have to pursue their life's purpose from a very young age. Now, as you know, Em, I didn't discover my true purpose until my mid-40s, and I didn't actually start to realize that purpose until I started this business with you at the ripe old age of 56. But, But here's the important thing to remember. Everything I did before that moment in time was simply preparing me for what was to come. And if I hadn't done those things and lived that experience, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing now. Now, some of the most impactful lessons in no bullshit leadership didn't even happen to me until I was in my 50s.
1: That's so interesting.
0: Well, it totally is, yeah. Uh, so for me, the concept that you'll be able to discover your life's purpose and then pursue it at the ripe old age of 22 is mildly ridiculous. <laughs> now, Now, look, it's not to say it can't happen. It's just that it's extraordinarily unlikely to. And I think this breeds a lot of dissatisfaction in younger people. They, they think to themselves, you know, and I've heard many times, why am I wasting my time? Like this job is taking me nowhere. So it makes it even harder to get a psychological contract that both an employer and an employee are going to be satisfied with. Um, and of course, one of the other podcast episodes I love, which was a little more recent, is episode 201, Finding Your Purpose.
1: Yeah, that was a cracker, Marty. And all good points there that you've covered. Let's get on to our next question, which should be a lot of fun to explore. This came in from Janessa, who is just coincidentally another leadership beyond the theory alumni, but this is a great one. Is Elon Musk being too much in his early days at Twitter, or is he just demanding results that will improve the company? What do you reckon, Marty?
0: Well, Em, as you know, I'm a massive fan of setting high standards for performance and for leaders being the catalyst to drive and enforce those standards throughout the organization. So... It's got to become embedded in the culture. It's really the only way to run a company if you want to be successful in the longer term. But from what I've read about Elon Musk's approach, it is chaotic and destructive. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to tell your employees that you have high expectations for the standard of work they produce and the extent of their commitment to the job that you are looking for. And this can act as a filter for anyone who might be thinking of joining the company uh, or for those who are trying to decide whether or not to stay. But telling people that you expect the job to be their lives with total commitment, well, it's just not going to suit everyone. And there has to be some major incentive for that type of dedication. So Musk is, by reputation, a serious workaholic, which you'd probably expect. But he gets to make that choice because he owns the company. So what's in it for the workers who don't have skin in the game? Unless they've got some skin for Twitter success, why on earth would they dedicate their lives to making Elon rich? Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's not why I come to work. So large companies can handle this with long-term incentive schemes that give executives their share allocations over time, so they actually do get that level of uh, buy-in. But these rarely extend to rank-and-file employees. Musk seems to be demanding this dedication from every individual, even in the most junior roles, which is sort of interesting. Um, having said that, you can bet your life that there will be thousands of people lining up for the opportunity to work for Elon Musk. Now, despite his eccentric and brash approach, he's still the richest person on the planet and he's done pretty well with both SpaceX and Tesla. So, as we know, not all great visionaries are great leaders.
1: Mm, That's a really good point.
0: Uh, But, you know, the concept of telling people that you demand total dedication from them when it comes to their careers isn't really new. Like I said, it's a pretty good filter. I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast before... Uh, although it would have been quite some time ago, a guy called Ivan Glassenberg, who hmm. used to be the CEO of commodities trader Glencore. He was once quoted as saying, don't come to work for Glencore if you want work-life balance. If you work here, we expect total commitment to your career. In return, we'll make you very rich.
1: Yeah, I remember that. And that's very clear, you know, he's clear on his expectations.
0: It- it totally is. I, I think I put that in a really, really early podcast episode when we were talking about you know culture and values. The, the more clarity you can give people about what you're about, then the better off you're going to be.
1: Yeah. And I guess in Musk's case, he has been pretty clear, but he's gone about this by sending a letter to all existing employees, basically giving them the ultimatum, commit to rebuilding Twitter by dedicating your lives to the cause, or I'll expect your resignation by five o'clock tomorrow.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. How subtle, right? Uh, And this comes on the back of terminating half the company's workforce on, I I think it was early November. Uh, He removed a bunch of contractors and, and sacked a few key people who had the temerity to disagree with his approach, which I thought was interesting.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty bad sign, isn't it? The lack of healthy debate and robust challenge. I remember one of our podcast episodes years ago examined this problem in Theranos, the biotech startup that eventually collapsed. And as an aside, I saw that Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of Theranos, was sentenced to, a few weeks ago to 11 years in prison as a result of the fraud.
0: Yes, yeah, she was. Um, three cheers for that. That verdict was certainly a win for our confidence in the global system of commerce, wasn't it? Totally. Um, and, and look, it, it's true for me, my observation, that intolerance for challenge is one of the unhealthiest cultural markers that you can experience. It pushes dissent underground and sets up a culture of fear and retribution. Definitely not what you'd want in a company, and Musk has sent a very clear signal to people who are left at Twitter. It's my way or it's the highway. And, of course, on top of that, whenever a leader does something in a way that appears to be reactionary, precipitous or reflexive, people lose faith in the whole system, not just in that decision. Every single person who's at Twitter now is going to be sleeping with one eye open. There's no two ways about it. It breeds distrust and it breeds fear. And most of these people are going to be hedging their bets because they don't know what's happening next. They'll be exploring the job market just in case, and their focus certainly won't be on rebuilding Twitter version 2.
1: Yeah, totally, Marty. And there's also the problem with how he communicated right. So managing by tweet or managing by press release isn't very helpful, is it? (laughs) Not really. We know that uh, you know sensitive communication that affects people's lives and livelihoods should be a little more considered and compassionate. I always think of the case of the CEO at Better.com who sacked 900 people via Zoom earlier this year. We bring him up like every couple of episodes because it's know. just so crazy. <laughs> it's
0: just it's just the best example. Um, and look, it's a really good example of how not to communicate with people when something affects their lives. So even if Musk has a good plan for how to rebuild the Twitter workforce, and eventually the product itself, it's a really poor way to go about it because he's missed a couple of really important leadership principles. So the first is about employee turnover. And I've, I've spoken about this before, I think, a few times on the podcast. When you take an undifferentiated approach, as he's done, you know, the old broadside to every employee, you don't get the opportunity to shape the type of turnover you get.
1: Mm, now, as we point. know,
0: two types of turnover, right? Desirable and undesirable and you'd be really happy to see some people leave the company. That's that's desirable turnover. But you'll have a whole bunch of people who choose to leave that you really needed and would have really preferred to have them stay. And that type of turnover is undesirable. So that's my big issue with things like voluntary redundancy programs. Good people leave because it's really lucrative, and they know they can get another job next Monday. But your poor performers stay, because even though they might be offered the opportunity to cash in, They know they can't easily get a job elsewhere. So, sure, it reduces the headcount and the labour cost, but it also massively weakens the gene pool that you have in your workforce. And the result of all of this, net-net, is that you have less people of a lower average quality to try to produce the same results. Certainly not the way to build for a profitable future, I would have thought.
1: That is such a good point. And yes, no doubt Musk would have benefited from being a little bit more surgical, finding out who the best people were and which of the current roles were key to the company. I mean, that's talent management 101, right?
0: Uh, indeed it is, Em. So <laughs> even in a company with a relatively flat structure, when you have thousands of employees, there are layers of leaders who should be providing these insights and delivering these messages. And it seems though so this step sort of been missed altogether. So when decisions are made at the wrong level, um, in this case too high up, they're often too far removed from the action to be good decisions. And as we know from our No Bullshit Leadership Decision Making Framework, decisions should be made as close as possible to the core expertise required to make them. So you've got a lack of rational planning, blanket mandates, unwillingness to tap into the knowledge and expertise of the existing Twitter talent, and a clear demonstration of lack of care for the individual. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs)
1: So true But look, he's still Elon Musk, isn't he?
0: Of course he is And look, you'd never bet against a guy like that So despite this chaotic and brutal start to his tenure As the uh, chief twit, I think he calls himself He's still likely to move this thing forward And in all likelihood, Twitter's still going to attract and retain some really good people But it could have been handled so differently He could have got way better outcomes by being just a little more considered And a little more surgical in the way he went about it As it stands now, with the current Twitter talent, sure, some people are going to stay for the money. Um, Some will stay because they're not very good and they're even afraid to step out into a very forgiving job market. Uh, Some are going to stay because they're just risk-averse by nature. Some will stay because they believe in the mission of what's going on there at Twitter. And many more are going to come because they just want the chance to work with Elon.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting and I just can't wait to see how this plays out over the coming months and years. We'll be probably doing an update on this some somewhere down the track to see what's going on. I'm sure yeah.
0: we will. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, once again, we've covered a lot of ground, Marty. Thank you, Janessa and Caroline, for your awesome questions. Remember, if you've got anything that you'd like us to cover on the No Bullshit Leadership podcast, just shoot us an email, hello at your CEO mentor.com and we'll add your question to the list. Now, Marty, why don't you take us out?
0: Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your network of leaders. Now, I look forward to next week's episode, Leading Through Major Upheaval. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.